Would you have the guts to share the gospel with the prince of Saudi Arabia? In his palace, no less. Well, most of us will never have the opportunity to find out. Lord willing, we have opportunities similar to that. But our guest today actually did that. He shared the gospel with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia in his palace. And you're going to hear that story and so much other awesome stuff from our guest, Skip Heitzig, today. It was my honor and privilege. I was blown away by our conversation. He was so encouraging. If you've ever listened to Skip preach, you're probably not surprised to hear that he's encouraging. He just exudes optimism, exudes joy and love and exhortation for, for Christian brothers and sisters. One of the best Bible teachers around today. I'm sure of it. He He's this wonderful blend of engaging and uh, exciting, but also just as faithful to the text as you can possibly get. So I'm excited for you to listen to it. If you haven't um, subscribed or liked the show, make sure you do that. And if you listen on iTunes, I would love for you to go not just give it five stars, but leave a positive review. Here's one recent review that someone was kind enough to leave on iTunes. They said, absolutely captivating. At one point in my life, I identified as agnostic. Today, I'm a Christian facing the same questions that I used to ask about who God is and what it means to be a Christian. Thinking critically about your faith and other religions to be able to help guide people through these questions is essential as a believer. If you want to dive deeper into these topics that typically cannot be addressed in a pulpit, I highly encourage you to listen to this podcast. Uh, and, and they go on to say, I recommend this podcast. It allows you to enter the minds of true, quote, Christian thinkers, as Jeremy calls them slash us, rather than just the random Joe who went to summer camp one year or the preacher who just really enjoys public speaking. Uh, aside from the fact that there was a low-key insult at preachers uh, there at the end, of which I am one, but... You get the point. This person obviously has really enjoyed the show, has been impacted by it, and I'm so encouraged by that. That's so awesome to hear that story, and there's so many others. I've been so amazed at the feedback so far from the show. So, like I said, if the podcast app that you listen to lets you write reviews, and you have one in you, I would love for you to to write one because it just helps more people find the show. And at my church we have this this phrase that a friend of mine really, I think, came up with, which is, you know, we don't do this to make all things all people famous, or we don't do this to make, my church is called Element Church. We don't do this to make Element Church famous. We make we do this to make the name of Jesus famous. And we, we everything that, that we do as Christians should be to make God famous. And that's what this show is about. I hope that somehow, some way already, this early on in the show, that there have been non-Christians who've stumbled on this and they've at least walked away and said, you know, those Christians talked about that stuff in a loving way, in an interesting way, and it made me think. And if that's you, make sure to reach out to me, jeremy at allthingsallpeople.org. I want to hear your stories. I want to hear your questions. I want to dialogue with you. Make sure to follow me at allthings.allpeople on Instagram. Uh, check out the website. And uh, make sure to check out Pastor Skip. All of his information for social media is in the show notes. Go follow him. Go download the Connect with Skip Heitzig app. Listen to his radio show. Um, but you know what? I, you're not here for all that. Right now, you're here to listen to this awesome conversation, conversation I was privileged to have with one of my favorite Bible teachers, 
Pastor Skip Heitzig. My next guest ministers to over 15,000 people as senior pastor of Calvary Church in Albuquerque. He is the author of several books, including Bloodline, You Can Understand the Book of Revelation, The Bible from 30,000 Feet, and his newest book, which we're surely going to talk about today, coming out in October, called The Biography of God. He serves on several boards, including Samaritan's Purse and Harvest, but most of us know him as the voice teaching us so well from the Bible on our car radios as he reaches out to thousands across the nation and throughout the world through his multimedia ministry, including a nationwide half-hour radio program. It is my honor and privilege to have on the show today, Pastor Skip Heitzig. Pastor Skip, thank you so much for doing this. I'm happy to be joined uh, or to join you on this call. And I always like touching the state of North Carolina because I have a special affinity. Um, I got to ride a motorcycle up that Blue Ridge Parkway once, and there's yeah. just nothing like that experience. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I think a lot of people out, out my way um, forsake it probably too much. So maybe they, they, they'll go out to the desert some. And cause that's the funny thing is every time I meet somebody that goes out West, they feel about Albuquerque and uh, New Mexico and Arizona, the way I feel like most people from out West feel about North Carolina. So it's a little I bit. Think of, so. We enjoy the differences, don't we? 100%. Well, um, if, if you're listening and you're not sh- familiar with Pastor Skip, make sure to check out his phenomenal teaching. And I mean phenomenal. Phenomenal teaching ministry at connectwithskip.com or download the Connect with Skip app. You can also follow him on various social medias by checking out his information, which is in the show notes. Um, Pastor Skip, I'm especially honored to have you for a couple of reasons. The first being this. In all of my research on you, I found that far more often you are the one doing the interviewing than, than being interviewed. So, uh, so I think it's, it's, it seems like it's almost a little bit rare for you to be the subject of an interview. Is that, is that intentional? Uh, I do like interviewing people because I like to find out about them, what makes them tick. And uh, sometimes people are just really good at interviews. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. people are better at interviews than they are at kind of speaking in, in, a, sure. in a pulpit setting. And, and as an interviewer, as you know, you can draw certain things out and you can probe deeper and ask ask some, some, some hard questions that I think need answers. So yes. it's yeah, well, and I think you do a phenomenal job, but the, the second reason that I'm, I'm extremely honored and I, I sort of just lucked into this because I follow you on Instagram and I saw that this past Tuesday, you attended something historic, um, the signing of the Abraham Accords and you were at the white house, uh, which if you don't know, those of us, those listening, uh, this is a historic peace agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. Um, Pastor Skip, not a lot of people know this, but you were part of a delegation in 2018 that met with leaders from the Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, including Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince or the crown prince of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, Let's just start with that. What was that experience like in 2018 as part of that delegation? And, and how was it Tuesday seeing that signing having been part of this process of establishing good relationships with us in the UAE? Yeah, it was surreal, first of all, just to be invited to the UAE and um, to uh, um, Saudi Arabia. You know, it was right after the Khashoggi murders in Turkey. Right. And so we didn't think, you know, it was sort of like um, crickets from the, from the Crown Prince's side we just thought they were consumed with that news. We didn't expect to go there. So last minute while we were in the UAE, 
meeting with the Crown Prince of, of the United Arab Emirates, we get this call from Saudi Arabia that says the Crown Prince is waiting for you guys to be there. Mm. Now, I was part of a delegation that was put together by a good friend of mine that I serve on his board with named Joel Rosenberg. Joel right. is a, an author and a, a Middle East analyst who lives in Jerusalem. So he's Jewish and evangelical and he lives in Jerusalem. And so just imagine how the, surreal is the word. To, to be in the palace of Saudi Arabia with an Israeli citizen, Jewish evangelical, and a group of leaders like us to be invited, especially with all that we know about their history yeah. and their relationship with this country since September 11th, the rhetoric that has come out of that country. So it was, it was, it was odd. And um, mm-hmm. not only that, but what, what made that really great is I got to share the gospel with him. Wow. And, and the way that happened is Joel said uh, to him, um, your majesty, you probably don't hear the word evangelical much around the palace in Saudi Arabia. And it could be that not everybody here understands what an evangelical is, mm-hmm. as opposed to just a, 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 a generic Christian. So I'm going to have my friend Skip explain to you what an evangelical Christian believes. Yeah. So with that, I got to lead in about how we believe that God sent his only son into this world to pay for our sins on the cross, that, that he died and then he rose again from the dead. Whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. You know, just in a few sentences, I got to share the right. core of the gospel with, with him and, and uh, all those who attended that meeting in the palace. So um, in the very least, the gospel was shared in their presence, and wow. uh, it, was, it was a great opening. I, yeah, I would imagine. So did, did it feel sort of like for such a time as this that, I mean, this is a, that's a huge moment in anyone's life, sharing the gospel with the, the leader of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, the leader of really the Muslim world because he's yeah. the keeper of the mosque, the yeah. two holy mosques in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yet he was gracious enough to invite us not only to listen to that, but then yeah. to invite us back a year later. He had wow. a whole group, including my wife, come to the palace. And I'm going to be meeting uh, next week in Washington, D.C. with the, uh, amb- uh, the Saudi ambassador to the United States, who happens wow. to be a woman now. Really? Which is, they're, they're making, you know, strides in that area. And they have a woman as the um, Saudi representative to, to America. And my wife and I got to meet her. And we've invited her to our church. And she wants to come to our church. So we're going to kind wow. of make those, those arrangements uh, at her house over dinner. That... <laughs> That is astounding. Um, I'm sure that's something that you never thought you'd see. And, and I know that for you, I mean, that's really a moment, a moment in history that um, you there in the palace, uh, that, that's, that's an, it could even prove in generations to, to be important. But I know that for you, moments like that are especially important as a lover of Israel, uh, having been to Israel, I believe, over 40 times, and you actually lived in Israel as a young man as part of a kibbutz, which is, is a communal um, uh, a living arrangement in, in, in Israel. And, um, you know, the topic of Israel, it, it, because of things like the Abraham Accords and so many other things, it, that topic's only growing more contentious in all circles, but even evangelical circles here in the United States. But I, I've, I heard you once say in response to um, an understanding of Israel that sees the nation of Israel in prophecy as non-literal. So for listeners, some people would say that in Daniel and Revelation, when it mentions Israel and the fulfilling of Israel, that that's, that's non-literal. You once said 
the problem with that theology is the Bible. Um, can, can you expound on that and why you think the nation of Israel should be important to every Christian around the world? Yeah, because God made a promise to uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to David. And the promise is that Israel uh, will have not only a spiritual heritage, but will also have a physical land uh, and, and he even gave the borders of that land, which they have never occupied. They have never, ever in their history uh, f- um, occupied what God said they would occupy. So that remains to be seen. So at some point in the future, for God ever to make good on all the promises he made to, to Israel for a kingdom, not just spiritual, but literal, um, uh, that, you know, it, it just, it has to come to pass. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you spiritualize Israel, uh, and, and you relegate all the promises to Israel, to the church, um, you have to do lots of finagling of scripture. And, uh, uh you know, you basically have the book of revelation when you spiritualize things that, that you have to say, it really doesn't mean anything it says. It, it must mean something else, and I'm going to make something up. So um, the consistent theme of Scripture all the way from the covenants of the Old Testament into the New is that God makes a difference between the Gentile um, uh, Gentiles, between the church, and between Israel. And all three of them have specific promises, and Israel has yet to realize her full, full promise potential. Yeah. Well, and, and as I said, about just those moments perhaps in the – the palace there in Saudi Arabia in this past week at the White House watching the signing between Israel and a, and a group of nations that it has historically not had good relations with. Um, the young man in Southern California who met Jesus, uh, Skip Heitzig, uh, it's, it's clear that the Holy Spirit's been on, on your life leading you to, to where you are now um, and, and having even just a small part of some of those fulfillments perhaps happening uh, one day. Uh, I, I can't imagine that looking back now, you would have ever thought your life would look the way it is right now when you were that young guy in Southern California. Yeah, here's the thoughts I had when I was at the White House uh, the other day. I, my mind went back to me living on a kibbutz, and it was 1978, 1979. And it was during the time of the Camp David Accords mm-hmm. where Menachem Begin and Anwar Sadat at the bequest of Jimmy Carter, then yeah. the president of the United States, had him sign those accords. That cost Sadat his life. He got, he got assassinated after that. Right. And I remember trying to call somebody on the phone down in Jerusalem during those agreements, and he hung the phone up. He goes, I can't even talk to you, so he hung it up. And, you know, the whole nation of Israel was on, was on like, a collective pause, uh, as they were wanting to see if peace was going to be made with a single nation in the Middle East. And that happened with Egypt. Then it happened with Jordan in 1994. So to be at the White House when now two nations in one week say yes to peace with Israel is monumental. And I understand Christians have all sorts of different eschatological viewpoints about that. Sure. Some say this as the beginning of the tribulation and it's a bad thing, not a good thing, and it means that Israel is going to have a divided land. I understand all those things, but this is different. I mean, you know, when, when Psalm 122 tells us that we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and so we do, when God answers that, we should rejoice. Yeah, yeah, I, I 100% agree. And, uh, and 
I can't even imagine all, all of the thoughts you were having this past Tuesday at the White House watching that. But it does make me, like I said, go back to just the beginning of your, your Christian life um, and, and think about just what is that all those years looked like for you. Uh, and I think that that can be such a big encouragement to younger Christians because I, in a 2012 interview, uh, I read you say that you didn't have a born again experience until you were 18. Um, and you said this, I was kind of an average kid growing up in an average home and being very experimental with sounds and with substances and friendships. And you said, so, you know, the Beatles were the vanguard of expression at that time, them and Dylan, Bob Dylan. So those were things as a young kid that you start with. So I get a, I think I get a pretty clear picture of what your adolescence was like there. And I've heard you, you tell your story of meeting Christ. And it seems that so many young people could relate to your story of being disenchanted with the establishment not knowing where your place was, what was it about the gospel and those early days as a Christian in Southern California that appealed to a disenchanted rebel like Skip Heitzig back then? Well, you know, what I remember, I was very experimental, but one day somebody came to our school, a, a band, a rock band came to our school. Those were the days when you could have Christian rock bands give a general assembly to the entire school. Now they weren't yeah. allowed to give any kind of a message. They couldn't preach. Uh, but they could play their music and invite people to a concert. And it happened to be one of the bands, one of the Maranatha bands from a church at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. And they just played music. And I thought, they sound good. They actually <laughs> sound like a great band. And yeah. yet they're Christian. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't think, I thought Christians don't do things like that. Mm -hmm. They have long hair and beards. Like I'm looking at your beard. I've always had beard envy because I've never <laughs> been able to grow a good beard. I've seen you with a good goatee though. I've got a goatee, but but you have like an Old Testament beard. I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah. biblical proportions. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I see these band members with, you know, uh, their guitars and in a dress that's like mine. And I can relate to that. And it was very attractive because I never saw God as being relevant in those terms. So suddenly God was clothed in, in, and spoke my vernacular. Mm -hmm. and that made it that made it attractive to me. So at least it opened my ear and got me past what my preconceptions were. Yeah. And, and then at that time, all my friends were dropping like flies. I mean, they were all becoming Christians right and left. And it's like, great. There's nobody left to, that I can hang out with. Mm -hmm. So um, enough of them loved me through all that period. You know, so from the music to their conversations, finally one day I'm watching television at my brother's house in San Jose. And Billy Graham comes on television and I decide, nobody's in the room and said, okay, I'm gonna listen to Billy Graham. I got a beer out of the refrigerator, mm -hmm. sat down and I was listening to Billy Graham, drinking a beer and the Holy Spirit just convicted me. And, mm -hmm. and that was the beginning of my journey. That's yeah. when I prayed right there to receive Christ. That is amazing. And, and fast forward, I think short, a short amount of time, uh, to the early formative years of, of your Christian life. I, I had Brian Broderson on the show recently, and both of you spent your early lives as Christians under Chuck Smith. Um, and you once said about Pastor Chuck, I remember listening to Chuck teach, and it was so simple. He just opened a Bible and sat on a stool and smiled his smile, 500-watt smile, that brightened the place. By the way, I don't know if you intentionally sit on a stool often when you teach, but that's what I think about when I hear that quote is you now sitting on a stool in, in, in Albuquerque. Um, but what, what was that experience like uh, with Pastor Chuck and, and how did you carry that with you as you went to New Mexico to plant Calvary Albuquerque? 
Chuck was such a good role model because he was simple but profound. I mean, he had insights. Even to this day, I listen to something he said and go, there's just nothing better than that. It was just yeah. so good. And Chuck had a, he was very charismatic, but in a non-threatening manner. Um, mm. And when, when Chuck, just to see him open a Bible and explain it, nobody ever explained the Bible to me. I never read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I never knew what was in the Bible. I mean, I grew up Roman Catholic, so mm-hmm. nobody carried Bibles to church. Nobody right. read the Bible. We were never we were told not to read the Bible, in fact, mm-hmm. because uh, you'll never figure it out and let the priest tell you what it means, and they'll give you enough information. So, so with that, suddenly here's a guy with a big smile, almost like a football coach or your favorite <laughs> uncle, you know, and he's not dressed weird. He's sort of dressed normal, and he's sitting on a stool. And um, it was amazing is for a guy so much older than the young generation, it was the kids that gravitated. I think a lot of us that have bad relationships with our dads, I think kids that were street kids or, 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 or hippies running around, um, they, we were all attracted to somebody who loved us for who we were and saw the potential. You know, one of Chuck's favorite statements was go for it. You know, you come up with an idea and go, Chuck, I got this idea, da, 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 da. And he wouldn't shoot me down and go, oh, I don't know if that's, you know, what the board will say or this, that. He always said, let's go for it. Do yeah. it. Try it. Yeah. And that's kind of how he lived his life. He tried things in ministry, but he was never afraid if something didn't work to say, no, okay, forget it. Let's try something else. Yeah. So I, well, I really was attracted to that. Yeah. And I can understand why. And, I, you know, i I say sometimes I'm not as young as I I used to be. Um, None of us are, but I'm realizing now at this point, I'm not uh, young and cool. I'm not a youth pastor anymore. And and so now my attention has turned a lot more to a younger generation, as I'm sure yours has as well. And we're we're facing, you know, 18 to 25 year olds who probably feel somewhat similar to the way you felt there in Southern California, uh, disenfranchised, disenchanted with leadership, feeling as if their questions aren't being addressed. And that maybe sometimes the manifestation of church and Christians that they know don't care about what they care about. Can you kind of speak to maybe your own experience as a young person, or even now just years of pastoring in Southern California and Albuquerque and how you think young men and women uh, can reach this generation with the gospel? I think that what we're seeing today in our culture and around the world is very similar to what I experienced when I was young in my culture. We were disenfranchised with politics. We were disenfranchised and disillusioned with um, established churches, established government, established everything. And um, uh, we were just, we were searching and we had, we had our own prophets. We had the Beatles. We had Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. We had mm-hmm. Timothy Leary. We had people telling us, you know, you can find it in this and that. And so I observed a lot of people trying those things, including myself, mm-hmm. but coming out thirstier than when they went in. Mm-hmm. So when the thirst is accentuated, you, and, and if you're an experimental person like I was, and I think a lot of people are, when somebody said, why don't you try Jesus? Now, of course, a conversion is more than trying Jesus. I yeah. understand that. But to a kid, it's like, okay, I'll try that. Mm-hmm. And it, it was sort of like, that's how I felt when I was watching that Billy Graham program. I thought, I'll try this. I'll pray. I'll do this. I need mm-hmm. this. 
I feel like I need this. And I didn't know what I was in for. I didn't even yeah. know what I was doing, but I did it. And mm -hmm. it was the beginning of God opening my heart. And then I immediately got involved in a home Bible study. You know, Calvary Chapel at the beginning had a lot of communes, a lot yeah. of houses where people were living, men and women, but in separate quarters, uh, very moral and very uh, strict. But it was a, sort of like a Bible school for kids, for hippies. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember going to the Macedonia house, it was called at the time, and going to a Bible study that was all young people. Yeah. And it was even taught by a young person. And the only time it wasn't taught by a young person is when Chuck Smith's brother, Paul Smith, yeah. gave us a Bible study once a week. And it's like, okay, I, I, can, I can hang with him because the rest of the week I got all these kids around me. And it was, it was a youth movement. Mm -hmm. you know, so I think what we're seeing today is sort of the same setup. So I'm just praying for um, the, the grace to be as patient with this generation and all yeah. they're struggling with. Uh, that Chuck and others had with us. Yeah, I, th I think that's, I think as leaders, we, uh, some of me and the guys I, I co-labor with uh, remind ourselves, do not grow bitter in how we look at the next generation. Um, and so I've seen that from the Calvary Chapel movement, the Jesus movement, from Chuck, from from men like you and, and Pastor Brian and so many others now who are in that role. Um, and there's just something too, you mentioned about, Chuck, about making the Bible simple. Um, we're going to talk here in a minute about some of your books, and I've always noticed that about you. You you take these grandiose ideas. I, you know, I'm listening to you in my car, in my truck, uh, driving down the road, and I'm listening to Pastor Skip, and I go, gosh, how did he simplify that so, so much? Uh, so for me, just this is a personal question for me, as a, as a Bible teacher who's striving to learn how, how do we take the Bible and make it as easy to understand for new Christians, for young Christians? How, what was that formation for you to learn how to take? Because I get frustrated when I listen to you, man, or when I watch you. You, you don't have notes in front of you. You have this, this wealth of knowledge. But yet at the same time, I walk away having learned a ton. What was it for you that switched or flipped that made it to where you could do that to where you could make the Bible simple like Pastor Chuck did? Um, well, first of all, when I started, it was, I, I was, it was cumbersome. It wasn't like easy. Yeah. It, didn't like, oh, it wasn't like, oh, I can do this. this is no problem. Mm -hmm. It was awkward for me, True. but I wanted to do it. I just saw, I saw the benefit of it and I saw Chuck do it and I thought, mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if the guy God, God called me to do that, but I really would like to do that. I, yes. I just love making things understandable. So when, when I would hear or read a text, a lot of times I would go, what does that mean exactly? And I keep mm. mind, I started on the King James version. Yeah. Old King. So I, I asked that question a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what does this mean? I don't get it. And, and, and so I would try to figure out another way of saying it. Mm. What's an easier way to say it? What is the main thrust what are the verbs what are the nouns you know sort of the stuff that i learned growing up in, in high school yeah and then and then i'd say it a different way and then i would compare it with like very modern translations like the living bible or now yeah. the new living bible or or the new um, uh, um niv or something mm -hmm. and i would see that that's really the job of translators is to take the uh, original language and make the receptor language reflect the original language but in a modern vernacular that 
it impacts the audience the same as it impacted the audience then. So I, I understood, well, that's what translators do. So I'm going to start thinking that way. Mm. I'm just going to think of uh, what is the main subject and what is what are the you know the, the main verbs and, and, and what is the thrust of what they're um, uh, and, and then not be afraid to drill down. You know, sometimes I, I go through a text and I I'll, I'll go through it. And it'll take me a long time to go through. I'll go through the Gospel of John. It'll take me two years. Yeah. But um, so so anyway, what I try to do is 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 to give it an, in other words to mm. to give it a very simplified and, and other modern translations are very helpful for me. Yeah, absolutely. And and just off the top of your head, how how many times do you think you've taught through the Bible? Yeah, uh, probably four four maybe five times. Wow. Yeah. In different manners. Now I've done the Bible yeah. from 30,000 feet before. So yeah. that took me a little over a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, every verse of the Bible I've done yeah. that. And that's, you know, that was Chuck's magic. And, and mm-hmm. Jay Burton McGee was, was one that influenced Chuck Smith. But uh, the idea was um, Chuck used to tell us, how can you tell your people? I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, unless you teach every verse of the Bible. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Right. That was, that's sort of the, the Calvary approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, for those listening, uh, if, if the Bible is somewhat unfamiliar to you, especially some of the books or sections of the Bible that don't end up in devotionals as often, um, I, I highly recommend the Bible from 30,000 feet series that you did last year, because it really is, it's a, a survey, if you will, of, of the entire Bible, but without getting bogged down. I, I love the Calvary Chapel approach, um, but for some people, it can be somewhat tedious. tedious to, yeah. Yeah. I do remember, though, I, I, I shared this for years when I was in student ministry. I told you when we were in our, our virtual green room um, that I spent time in college at a Calvary Chapel with, in Lynchburg, um, where I went to school, and the pastor there, we were in Leviticus, and or Numbers, perhaps, and, and there was a long list of names, as there often are in those books, and he could see us kind of like dozing off, I suppose. And he said, I just need you to remember that their name is in the Bible and yours is not. And we, <laughs> and we need to figure out why. Um, but, uh, but, you know, so I keep that in mind. But for those of you listening, go check that series out. It's phenomenal. Another series you did, I think in 2008 or 2009, was called The Biography of God. And you have this book coming out in October. I don't know if the two are associated. If, if sure. Okay, sure. So, so this book coming out, Biography of God, the tagline is, quote, does God exist? If he does, is it possible to know him? How you answer these two questions defines how you see the world. And in the description of the book, uh, it says, you know, these are some of the topics that you cover. Omnipotence, paradoxes, and the mystery central to God's being, the true nature of the Holy Trinity. So I'm glad to see you picked an easy book to write. Um, but this book's right up my alley. I can't wait to get my hands on it. But what led you after writing Bloodline and, and 30,000 feet more uh, narrative books um, or, you know, survey books, what led you to write an apologetics philosophy type book? Um, okay. So a couple of things. When I was a brand, a newer believer, there were two books that really influenced me. One was called Knowing God by J.I. Packett. Yeah. And it was the title that sold me the book. <laughs> sure. you know, I looked at it and I go, oh, I want that book. And I didn't know it was really a theology book. Yeah. And, and so I bought it and I went through it and I enjoyed it. There were some real nuggets in it and I give a lot of attribution to him in the book. 
Another book that I really liked was called Knowing the Face of God by Tim Stafford. Mm -hmm. And what Tim did is took it a different direction, a very practical way of relating to God. And what, what, got, what got made me go, hmm, is if you're going to know a person, you're going to, there are certain protocols you go through, mm -hmm. right? There's eye contact, there's introduction, you learn facts about the other person. What's different about knowing God is you can't see him. Mm -hmm. you, you only base it on evidence that he exists and evidence that he has revealed himself in his word. And so the approach to a relationship, a personal relationship with a person you can't see, is sort of like having a personal, personal relationship with the invisible man, right? Sure, yeah. So I decided that I would do the biography of God sort of with a knowing God approach, but I wanted to write it for the skeptic Mm -hmm. I wanted to write it for the seeker and I wanted to write it for the saint, all three. Mm -hmm. And before I got to the saint, I really wanted to lay the foundation philosophically. Of how do we even know God exists? Yeah. And I wanted to give evidences of that that, are, that were pretty strong without getting bogged down. So I understand whenever you deal biblically or philosophically, it's very easy to get caught in the weeds. So again, yeah. I tried to make it, you know, how do you go through the ontological argument in, in, in layman's fashion, right? That's yeah. what I wanted to do. So I wanted to get people to at least concede that, that God can exist, that God does exist, and that brilliant people in history who were unbelievers got persuaded that God exists and that he is a person and he is personal. And what caused them to do that? And then build on that foundation of, how do you have a relationship with it? Yeah. And I think, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm really excited to, to, to read it because I've read so many of those books from theologians, from more of a classic viewpoint, like you said, J.I. Packer coming out of the Anglican tradition. I'm excited to read that book from you because I think we don't have enough pastors, like boots on the ground type pastors, uh, who've addressed those topics before, at least in, in written form. Um, there's a ministry, R.C. Sproul's ministry, the late R.C. Sproul, Ligonier, and Lifeway just put out what they call the state of theology. And in, it's a survey where they survey thousands of Americans, not just Christians. And in that survey, uh, some of the stats that came out were that uh, more than half of the people surveyed don't believe that Jesus was God. More than half believe that the Trinity or the, the Holy Spirit's not a personal being, but just a force. Um, similar to the way maybe Jehovah's Witnesses think of think of the Holy Spirit, and and you know the numbers seem to indicate that in our churches we probably have quite a few people who on these core central tenets that you've written about in this book, uh, they don't understand them, they don't know them. Can you maybe just give a little bit of encouragement to those listening, how we should balance as Christians the need to know these things, but also not make our salvation depend on knowing these things. Um, well, that's a big question. First of all, I would say there's a disparaging amount or a disparaging lack of doctrinal preaching in most pulpits. Yeah. Um, I've always made it my aim to preach doctrinally because the New Testament mentions that word so much yeah. that you really can't get away from it. So it just means good, healthy teaching. And mm -hmm. um, so I always I'm doing a series right now called 2020 Seeing Truth Clearly on our weekend. It's all about biblical doctrine. And um, because every maybe 10 years, I decide I need to do that again and, and reintroduce people to it. Because 
every time I do, people say, man, that's, that's so good. I've never heard of something on the Trinity. And I go, really? And I mean, because I've spoken on it a lot. But they go, no, all the yeah. churches we go, never heard of it. I, I hear pastors who say they never want to teach on the Trinity. So right. I, I love tackling those subjects because um, if they're, and, 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 and by the way, some of them are essential to our salvation. Yeah. If you don't believe certain things, you are not, by definition, a Christian. Yeah. You might believe in God, you might believe in Christ, but it doesn't make you a Christ follower. You have to understand his identity and and um, uh, come into relationship with him through that. So yeah, I, I, I like to tackle those things, and probably simply because nobody else does. Uh, maybe that's one of the reasons. Um, um, I remember um, Howard Hendricks was telling us at the Cove there in North Carolina, yeah. we were talking about the future of the Cove, and he said, if you make the Cove a center of exposition, expositional preaching, that is sort of your guideline. You can't just come here and have talks. It's all exposition. If you do that, then you'll be the only kid on the block. <laughs> there used to be Bible conferences in this country, and there used to be expositional this and that, but they're gone. Mm-hmm. And, and what he said about conference centers is true about churches. Most churches... You want to give pep talks. They want to rally the troops, make people clap and, and have an excitement. Uh, but they're not teaching them really anything. They, they're mm-hmm. filled with exhortation, like Chuck Smith used to say. But um, people need to be taught how to do things. Yeah. And they need to be empowered through the teaching of the word. And that's that was what I, I walk away from a Bible study going, now I get it. Now I can do it. Now I can apply it. Instead of just being told I need to love people, being told I need to witness more, I should do this, I should do that, I want somebody to tell me how to do it. Mm. And that's where that's where exposition comes in. Absolutely. And you you got on to a little bit there of of the nature of how churches have have changed in the last, I don't know, maybe 50 years um, to this attractional model, which of course you haven't shied away from. Uh, I, I want to make sure who, so listeners who, uh, who hear you say all that might think that Calvary Albuquerque is stuffy and all that. If you watch a video of Calvary Albuquerque, I mean, it is about as attractional as you can get, but you, you're right there and your team's right there just making sure people hear the word clearly um, and in a way, like you said, that, that they can apply in a very tangible way. In the ministry world though, few people have utilized media as well as you. <laughs> um, and, and like I said, this really goes all the way back to uh, Calvary Chapel and, and the focus that Calvary Chapel has had on utilizing radio ministries. Um, I believe you wrote a PhD dissertation on convergent media in the church. And so going all the way back to your early days, it shouldn't be surprising then that there's an app, that there's a live stream, that there's a radio hour. And that when I type Skip Heitzig into YouTube, I pretty much have your sermon catalog at my fingertips. So coming from you, somebody who's done very well at that, and I know you have a team surrounding you, helping you with that. What advice would you give to pastors and ministry leaders who perhaps are just now realizing the importance of media and sharing the message of Christ in 2020? Well, that's a great question. I love that. Um, You know, Paul said that we should share the gospel by any means, by all means. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, Spurgeon had a stenographer who took down all of his messages and printed it in the newspaper in London the next day. Yeah. And he took advantage of that. And Chuck Smith did radio. And I remember when we looked at radio stations, we bought two radio stations here. Uh, we, we, it was Chuck who gave encouragement for that. So 
I had role models of people who use media. Um, and so uh, when it comes to like our services, you mentioned attractional, I like that's a good word. So I remember sort of my own little survey of churches. I, I had noticed that typically, this is just when we were starting all this, sure. the churches that were really weak in the pulpit happened to be really strong in music and in worship and the arts. Mm -hmm. And that churches were really strong in the pulpit kind of had stuffy, outdated worship, kind of like, I, it was good, but if you're not a blue hair, you can't relate to it. Mm -hmm. so I, and I walk away going, why is that? Why couldn't you have somebody strong in the pulpit, but fun, cool, updated me? I mean, I, I grew up with rock and roll. Yeah. Why, why do all of a sudden I have to now have, you know, um, a choir? Not that mm -hmm. I'm against choir. If the choir is right. cool, if it's a yeah. good choir, it's powerful. It's coming back now, too. It's come back. And I, I've heard, I have a friend in Dallas, Jack Rand. His choir is like to die for. It's so good. Yeah. But it has to be good. And I just think, and, and something else, is I remember growing up in the Catholic Church, we had stained glass windows. Mm -hmm. And the light would come through. And I just loved the colors that, it, what, it, what it did to the environment. I just thought it was a beautiful environment. Well, I don't know if you've looked into the cost of stained glass windows, but if yeah. I were to put stained glass in my church, it'd be millions of dollars. Right. It's a lot easier for me to get lights and a smoke machine to get <laughs> an outline to the lights. And it's like a digital stained glass environment. Yeah. Um, and, and so a lot of people, they're opposed to that. They think that yeah. the church should be just four walls don't smile, don't say, don't, you know, don't do anything except listen. And yeah. I, I reject that. You know, God is an artful God and mm -hmm. God is a creator. And if we're made in his image, we can create things and create environments. And um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with using artistic expression and solid Bible teaching together. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so we do, and we make no apologies about it. And we know not everybody likes the volume. They think it's too loud or they don't like the lights dimmed or they don't like the lights going around, but yeah. whatever. There's, they didn't like it when I put the, the lyrics up on a screen at one time. Yeah, that used to be controversial. Out. Yeah, yeah. everything you do is controversial. Yeah. So you just have to decide what you're comfortable with as a pastor and why you're doing it. What is the motivation? And then do it and just let, let the talkers talk. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. And it's been a thrill to see in these last five or 10 years, like I said, I listened to you on the radio, but now, oh, there's an app now. And uh, just like I said, YouTube and, and, and I think that you are a good example for ministry leaders. Of course, you know, not everybody might be able to do that, but it's a good example of, like you said, just reaching people by any means necessary, by, by, by all means, uh, doing whatever we can. And you are a great example of that. Calvary Albuquerque, going all the way back to the, the early days in Costa Mesa with Pastor Chuck. Um, so, but before I let you go, I, I just have to ask this because like I said, it is exciting to watch your ministry through Connect with Skip, but then also Calvary Albuquerque. Um, what does the future hold for Calvary Albuquerque and Connect with Skip? And, and what are you excited about in the next few years? I know it's hard right now to be excited about anything because of the restrictions with COVID and we don't know when the world's going to go back to whatever the new normal is, but what is it that you're looking forward to? Um, I still get really excited to open up a text of scripture and work my way through it. For some reason, even though I've been doing it for years, that never gets old. I always discover things and I love the discovery 
of the disclosure of God in, in Scripture. Since that is the primary way God makes himself known through special revelation, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing in, in general revelation uh, in the environment that God has made, yeah. I've gone camping lately more with my wife. <laughs> so we have a little Airstream trailer and we'll take it out oh. and just enjoy um, uh, what's out there. So that that's exciting to kind of to connect with her in, mm-hmm. in, in this uh, kind of new season for us. But, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know what the future holds, but I'll tell you what. I do know that I have a, a, enough young leaders in our church, and I always ask their opinion. I'll, I'll, my son is, is a good Bible teacher, but he's also very creative, mm-hmm. and he's got a creative team. And when, I, when we have an idea and we let them talk about how to execute that idea, that to me is like magic happens. It's like, <laughs> yeah. wow. It's just so good, you know? Mm, yeah. and, and if I have an idea, even a biblical thought, I'll run those by them to get their opinion because how how a person who's a 20-something hears something is different than, you know, somebody older like me. So uh, they keep me fresh. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know that I'm fresh, but they, <laughs> they, they keep me from getting old and stale. Put it sure. Well, Pastor Skip, I can assure you that at least from my end of the country, you are not old and stale. Uh, I think you do a great job. And uh, like I said, it, it's, it's been an honor and privilege to have you. And to those listening, like I said, who are not familiar with Pastor Skip, make sure you familiarize yourself with him. Because I, I do think, uh, I know for me as a young pastor, listening to you, watching you lead, and even hearing that last little bit of how you look to the next generation of leaders and are generous with them, um, may we all be more like that. So, um, Pastor Skip, I, I so appreciate your time and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the Lord uses this conversation in people's lives. I know that he's used it in mine. And so thank you for, ha- uh, for taking the time today to talk to me. You're very welcome. And you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to send you this book. Oh, goodness. That's so I'm sweet. <laughs> I'm going to, to put it in the mail to you. Well, that, that's wonderful. I will make sure to read it and tell everyone to buy it. All right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Pastor Skip. Thanks, Jeremy. Good talking to you. 